We are like just so privileged to have classy, like um, upright, uh, care, kind people serving with us. And Amy is um, one of those people that uh, for now, how long have we journeyed together in ministry? Five and a half years. Five and a half years. And I think your husband and me have been journeying for like, what, 21, 30 years? I don't even know. But um, anyways, we don't want to waste too much time. We want to just open up, I know, with another word of prayer. We just like to pray a lot. I think it's just good, you know. So, And, and what we're doing, we're going to pray for our own hearts, right, in our own ears to just be open that we might receive the word of God that has been prepared. Amen. So let's just open with that word. Father, we thank you for this precious gift uh, that you've given this church, Lord. And Lord, today as we just um, sit under the teaching, Lord, and the the sermon that she's brought, Lord, and prepared, uh, Father, I pray that we would sit under it with open ears and a softened heart to receive all that you have for us in this sermon. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So great to be here with you this morning. Um, I think a number of you have seen me in the back chasing a child, our son Wesley. Usually it's running up the stairs. Um, or you might see me give announcements. So it's not a lot to get to know me. So I just figured I'd start us off with a fun fact about me because we're going to get into some topics, okay? So it's nice to get to know your speaker a little bit before you get into some of the the good but weighty things. So one fun fact that I thought about myself was that when I was in second grade, I filled out one of those forms that you do in school. Do you know um, anyone who was in public or private school? You have back to school night and the teachers want to have artwork and different things on display just ready for the parents to see. So one of the common things that you will see is uh, my favorite food is, and I guess we weren't good at writing then, so we would draw it. So you would like see people draw pieces of pizza or ice cream sundaes or whatever. And then of course, one of the other questions was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the funny thing about this is I don't even remember um, pondering as a kid, like this being this like long-winded thought that went through, but I remember the story, and now when I remember the story, I actually can picture the drawing that I drew, and it was a picture of a woman in a black billowing robe, and that was my church of origin, women wore black robes, so I wanted to be a pastor. This was like in second grade, and I remember my mom looked at it, and she was like, what? Like, it's not something we ever talked about, so even as Daryl introduced me, it really is a joy to do apparently my second grade dream of ministering, so to be on this leadership team, on this wonderful church, to serve alongside the core team that you hear us talk about. It really is a joy and a privilege, and apparently a fulfillment of a second grade dream that I don't fully remember, but God might have put that in my heart. So that's kind of a fun fact. Another fun fact about me is um, all of you guys are super encouraging. People will say things like, Amy, you're so administrative. And the funny thing is, I never thought I was administrative until maybe six to eight months into doing this position of administration at Hilltop. Bethany asked me to do it, and I thought, well, I always want to serve. That's a need. I have a sometimes debilitating attention to detail, but that can be helpful at times. Um, My desk is quite messy. It's organized. I know where things are, but there are papers upon papers. So, you know, a couple little 
little words to remind you that sometimes God's speaking to you in second grade when you don't even realize it, and sometimes you can be called into something where you think you lack, and then it could become a place of strength. So anyway, just so you get to know me a little bit beyond chasing the child and um, giving announcements on a Sunday. So privileged to be with all of you. But here we are, Thanksgiving week, a time to talk about gratitude and Thanksgiving. And it is... Um, it's really an easy thing that comes to my mind is I'm thankful for my family. So I grew up in a very loving home. I grew up with my mom and my dad and my older sister, beautiful central New Jersey. Don't come at me, beautiful central New Jersey. 15 minutes from the beach, better beaches than you, Massachusetts, but moving on. Anyway, so grew up there, love Massachusetts. I love it, I love it but I still prefer New Jersey beaches. Moving on, I'm fired. <laughs> um, so I had a father who was very affirming. He loved me a lot, but was a man of few words. And um, I, you know, I can remember in middle school getting on something like Junior Honor, Honor Society, if any of you guys know what that is. And my dad, in his very paternal way, he'd come up to me and give me a firm handshake and with eyes, with, with tears in his eyes, he would say, I'm really proud of you. And it was, it was just that moment. And you, you knew it, despite the, the many words accompanying that. Um, I even remember a time my mom was rarely away on a girl's weekend. And, um, like, she never did that. She maybe did it, like, three times my entire 18 years, first 18 years of life. But one of those times, I'm sitting at the dinner table or at the lunch table with my dad. We're having soup because that was the extent of my dad's culinary ability from a can. So we're having soup and I'm just looking at him and I thought, oh, you know what? I have a thing that I usually talk about with mom, but I'm going to talk about this with my dad. So I said, you know, dad, I think I'm in high school at this point. You know, I have the situation and I don't know what to do. I could do this or I could do that. And then my dad just looks at me very sincerely and he says, I know you'll make the right choice. And then just go back to eating his soup. And I think, Ooh, that conversation's done. Like, okay, I'll wait till mom comes back and then I'll talk about it a little more. Um, but that was my dad, very affirming, very loving. He wasn't dismissive. He, he was really, he really loved me dearly. And then my mom, as I've alluded to, extremely li- a great listener. <laughs> she would listen through all of my processings. Looking back, she really was my best friend in high school. You know, my mom was always like, I'm not your friend, I'm your mom. And she did a good job of that in terms of like the discipline and, you know, what she says is what I have to follow. She's not trying to earn my respect as a friend. Um, but she really was an incredible listener. She, she really was incredibly gifted at hospitality and um, just made everyone feel at home in our home. So here we are, Thanksgiving week, like I just said, and this, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to share a brief story. As we heard with testimonies during baptism, there's something really powerful about testimony. Even as I was preparing this message, I thought I could just kind of go right into the content and just kind of like give a sentence or two to share that background, but I really do things, think things pack a bigger punch when it's accompanied by a real fleshy, sincere, honest testimony. There's something where it hits our hearts differently in that way. And, um, and scripture says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So it is powerful to share testimony. So I'm just going to share for a few minutes here before we get into um, a, the, the meat of the message, and then we'll have an opportunity to kind of respond in our own hearts between us and the Lord. So 
15 years ago, well, let me back up, 2006, um, which I guess was 15 years ago, I was a freshman at Boston College. This was my first time, you know, venturing out beyond the land of of diners and pork roll, and I was going to be a freshman at Boston College, undeclared major, College of Arts and Sciences, that's as far as I knew. And um, doing that freshman year thing, lots of prerequisites, and came home for Thanksgiving, 15 years ago to the week. And at this kind of a self-centered time of life, I think it's just kind of natural. You don't know what the future holds. It's just kind of the nature of being a freshman in college. And I come home and interacting with my family as we do over the holidays. And I notice that my dad's a little off. And I don't think much of it. I'm just kind of like, there's like a couple things. Um, he, like I mentioned, he's a very tender guy. It's not unusual for him to get teary, especially at these big, you know, momentous occasions. But we had gifted him and my mother a gift for their 25 year wedding anniversary. And when we gave that gift to my dad, he just burst into tears, like sobbing, body-shaking tears. And I remember thinking, I'm like, I know, it's a great gift, you know, it's a really, really good gift. With a big help, with a lot of help from my grandparents, we were going to send them to Bermuda. It was like, yes, that's right, dad. But deep in my spirit, I, I knew something wasn't quite, quite right, and I, I just dismissed it. Um, apparently, my mom had been concerned for a few weeks so she had been taking his blood pressure regularly, and we spent Thanksgiving in the emergency room because his blood pressure was super high. So same thing, you know, you're kind of thinking, okay, like, that's weird, but, you know, my dad was in his early 60s. People, people have blood pressure issues, not a big deal. Um, I'm going to get ahead of this dry mouth, and I'm going to have a sip of water. And I, Daryl, can you open this for me? I picked, I should have picked one with, like, a little cap thing. I'm going to keep this open and pray I don't spill it. Where is the least dangerous place to put this? I'm going to put it here. That is the least dangerous place. Okay. So moving on here. So I go back to school. Every time I talked on the phone with my mom, my dad was worse. It was, first he was kind of walking with a shuffling pattern. My dad was like a super fit guy. Like this didn't make sense. He actually forgot how to use the TV remote. My electrical engineer father forgot how to use a TV remote. Um, there was a time where he was in the bathroom and we think he got confused about his reflection because he came out of the bathroom and he told my mom there's people in there. So we think he actually forgot. I mean, maybe he had a full hallucination, but I think it was more he was just very confused. Once I started finals, my dad was hospitalized. Remember, this all started Thanksgiving week to my knowledge. Started finals, my dad's hospitalized. By the time I get through my final exams, my dad can no longer speak. I go home see him in the hospital. He's sedated after having a huge seizure. And then the next day, he's transferred to Columbia Presbyterian in New York City, one of the best neuro floors in the world. And at that point, they had uh, changed his medications, so he was no longer sedated but alert. But his eyes, looking in my direction, were completely blank. There was very little in there. He certainly did not recognize me. And that's when it came crashing down that I don't think we're coming back from this. And I just burst into the most body-shaking tears. I didn't care, I was 18, and I was sitting on my mother's lap like I was a five-year-old, just sobbing. My dad died the beginning of January, two weeks after a diagnosis, a one in a million incidence. And it, it, was, it really 
was this huge paradigm shift. I go from this idyllic childhood to everything. I have a loving mother and father. And in weeks, my father is dead. And I didn't get to have any final conversations with him. I actually do have a testimony about the last thing he ever said to me was that he loved me and he was proud of me. In hindsight, I looked back and I was like, whoa, that's literally the last thing my dad ever said to me. So I will cling to that for the rest of my life. But God was working through it. Um, But then from there, my freshman year was marked by the highest of highs I'd ever experienced and the lowest of lows. The deepest pain, the deep stabbing pain, the kind that doesn't go away even when you laugh with your friends. You're laughing, but there's still that hollowness and that emptiness. I also experienced friendship with the Holy Spirit for the first time. So that was a time when I had realized that the Holy Spirit, the church I was at in college was really teaching me that you don't have to just know the Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit as your conscience, but you can know him intimately as, as direction, giving direction for your life and as a friend. So those were the times I would come to church, sincerely chatting with my friends, and you know, we'd walk 15 minutes from Boston College to church down the road. The moment the worship team strummed a chord, I burst into tears, and the Lord began the slow but really real process of healing my heart. Like, it was almost comical. I'd be like, ah, 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 and then, and, ah, just sobbing, sobbing. And, I, and then it would end, you know, I'd go to lunch with my friends and rinse, repeat, do it like every Sunday. It was like so intimate and so real. And just kind of going quickly through the, the rest of this, um, you know, not only did I lose my dad at that time, but that intimate relationship with my mom was never fully recovered. Um, I think some of her friends might not have noticed that, but that's one of those things the most intimate friends and family members notice, that, that joy, that sparkle never quite came back, and it really affected our relationship. She went through a, a pretty significant depression, and there was never that closeness that we once had. Fast forward to six years ago, my mom starts to walk differently. I'm a PT, so I notice these things quicker than other people, but then my sister noticed it. And long story short, my mom was also diagnosed with a rare neurological condition, but this time it was a slow decline. It wasn't fast. I had to watch her slowly lose her ability to speak, her ability to drink her morning coffee, which my mom, like that's one thing, she has her morning coffee, like that was like so tragic to watch her ability to eat, her ability to speak into a conversation, and even her ability to listen and follow a conversation. 14 years after my dad died, just this past February, in fact, my mom joined him in paradise. And I, and I, you know, it's like, whoa, that is not what I expected when I went to college at 18, you know? So my life paradigm, getting into the content here, and again, I share it hopefully because it just kind of, it's easy for me to say, I went through, through some really challenging things at different points, and all of you could say, okay, but there's something to like, I don't know, there's just something about the testimony of it's real, it's raw, there's flesh around it, and hopefully that just gets at your heart. Nope, I'm not trying to instill fear. You're like, oh my gosh, Thanksgiving week. Like, no fear in Jesus' name. Everyone's fine. But it's just one of those things where it is an interesting place to, to bring you into. It wasn't this easy thing of then, then I just got up and life suddenly was great. It, and I share, highest of highs, lowest of lows. I've never felt so loved as the weeks following my father's death. And I stand by that. I don't think I've ever felt so loved as the weeks following my father's death, as well as that, that pain-stabbing deep in your, in your stomach and in your chest. So soon after my dad died, a young woman from church approached me, and she, she thought she had a word for me. 
For those of you who don't know, sometimes the Holy Spirit can highlight a scripture and feel compelled to share it with a person. She knew about my dad dying, but I don't think she knew more. Ultimately, she just felt that impression that, huh, I should share this with Amy. And this is the first scripture we'll talk about here. I'm going to take my other sip of water. glad they're having fun. All right. So Isaiah 57 verses one and two. I think I'm reading from the NIV, but all of them give you the same idea. The righteous perish and no one ponders it in his heart. Devote men are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. I mean, I think at that point I hadn't read the book of Isaiah, but man, paradigm shift. I thought, you know, you follow Jesus and, you know, maybe not everything's better, but like this, like, I kid you not, guys, I think the month, like I think a couple weeks before I went home for Thanksgiving, I think I found my church in November and all of a sudden I was like, what? People are praying for healing? Like what? Like those people seem to love Jesus more than I do because, like, they're, like, jumping around, and I'm just, I'm just standing here being like, yay, God, you know? So I was just like, cool. These people have something I don't. Um, but it, th- this was probably the most profound paradigm shift. I'm going to read the NLT. Good people pass away. The godly often pass before their time. But no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. But those who follow godly paths will rest in peace when they die. So taken away to be spared from evil. Like, does anyone else, does that like seem like a paradigm shift? I mean, maybe you guys are like, I was reading Isaiah 57 this morning. I mean, the Lord's speaking to me through this. I don't know. That was a huge paradigm shift. What if... And I was brought in my deep grief. I was brought to this moment. What if God is truly as good as we offhandedly say he is? So how many people have had a moment where you're, and it's not a bad thing. Hear me. When you're speaking truth. So maybe something happens. It's a death. It's a, it's a breakup. It's a, it's a loss of a job. Whatever it is. We all have experienced loss in some shape or form. But what if we, we realize that he's not just doing good in the good things, but maybe he's working the good even in our worst trial. It's easy to say God is good when things are good. And it's also easy to say, yeah, I lost my job, but God is good. God is good. Yep, he's good. That's not bad. You're speaking truth. Like, keep doing that. But what if your testimony's turned and you said, I don't know what he's doing, but my God is good. He works things for my good. And maybe there are circumstances that I am not aware of. Maybe he's turning me in a new professional direction. Maybe at this new job, I'll meet a spouse. You never know. You just never know. And I'm not trying to like You almost don't want to get too ahead, but there's something of maybe God's doing something here. Maybe he's doing something. Maybe my dad, who died at 62, would have had great hardship in the final years of his life if he lived to be 80. My dad died at the peak of his faith. Every person, because again, I was away at college, every person 
told me that worked closely with him that my dad was talking about prayer in a way that he, they had never heard before. He was the numbers guy. He was the charts guy. He, he was on, I'm forgetting the terms because I've been out of this church for so long. It's a Presbyterian church, so there's committees upon committees. He was on the committees of committees, personnel, I don't know, building something or others. Like he made the charts, the pie charts, the bar graphs. You know what I mean? And then he's talking about what if we prayed for volunteers, Pastor Joe? What if we prayed that people be transformed by our Sundays? My dad died weeks after that. Maybe God took him at the peak of his faith. And if we believe what the word says, that heaven matters more than the current earth, maybe we took God at his word and my dad has great reward in heaven that might have been taken away if he lived another 10 years. I don't know. I don't know. But I can stand and say, I know that I know that God is good, even if I don't fully understand the why and the how and how come not. So here I was, and remember, at 18, I wasn't there yet. So I get this verse. Here I was at a crossroads moment, and we all had these crossroad moments. I don't care if it seems small to someone else, but you only know in your heart when you're at those crossroad moments of you could choose a broad and easy path that's passive and leads to bitterness and self-exaltation. I could have done it better. I know better. God did it wrong. Or you can choose a hard path, a pilgrimage that is causing you to say, I want to learn more about you, God. I know you heal. Why didn't you heal my dad? I know you are good. How is death when I am 18 of my father? How can that be good? So I was invited to explore these things and I was invited to have him heal my heart and not just ignore and say, I'm fine. He's good. You know, cause God's good. God's good. He's good. That's, that's not being in tune. Um, so let's see what the Bible says about this. So I'm going to bring up three kind of brief points that kind of, so, um, I should say the pilgrimage that I'm talking about, that is, that is my final point. That's the journey. But we are brought to these crossroads at multiple points where you actually, I'm sorry, but if you choose apathy, if you choose ignoring, if you choose, I'm going to do mind-numbing, spirit-numbing activities, if I'm going to self-medicate, you are choosing the passive path of bitterness, ultimately. But if you choose, and it's scary, you need community and you need God to walk with you in it because it's really hard and painful and scary, but ultimately it leads to life and it leads to you having deep joy that you've never known before. So Psalm 16:5. it's probably a favorite verse of some of you. Good old David, writing the good stuff. Lord, you've assigned me my portion of my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. So through the highs and yes, even the lows of life, it is possible to maintain an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving. Michelle shared this in her testimony, even that that act of baptism as being a defiant act to the demonic realm. All of you who like doing your spiritual warfare against the demonic realm, I I propose to you that probably one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare that you could ever do is a defiant act of gratitude and thanksgiving in the face 
of your deepest pain. And hear me, it's not being disingenuous. It is ministering, it is your spirit taking control over your soul. And David did it time and time again in the scriptures. Listen, you are not just a human. I mean, you are, praise the Lord, you're a human. But you are made up of parts. You have a spirit. You have a soul. You have other parts too. Maybe just the physical body. Maybe that's it. But we're talking about spirit and soul. You have an opportunity to to partner with the Holy Spirit because, believe me, you cannot do it without his help. It is counter to our flesh. But with the spirit, you can say, no, I declare that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You can declare it and the demonic realm has to shudder in the presence of God. So when you declare that, it is bringing about just such a move of heaven. You are not just saying it, you know, on my wedding day to will, praise the Lord. You know, that's, I can declare it too. I can say, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Am I right? I mean, and yes, we can. This is the way that you can take the good and take the bad from the Lord. I think Christians sometimes struggle with taking the good. This scripture is perfect because you can really rejoice in the good things in your life. And you can say, isn't it pleasant? Isn't it pleasant? Thank you, God. Isn't it pleasant? Thank you, God. But also as a defiant act of spiritual warfare, you can say, isn't it pleasant that God is sovereign and I am not? And he may have even taken my dad, even though I don't understand, I am deep in grief. I was 18. I had images of me walking down the aisle without my dad. I had images of grandchildren that would never be able to see his model trains and his model airplanes. And that man had the deepest childlike joy that I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never seen a man so joyful in the simple things of life than my father, Dan. And yet I can process that grief. I don't ignore it. But I can still confidently say, I don't know what, but maybe you spared him from evil. Maybe you spared him from a horrific car crash that would have left him spinal cord injured, never able to walk again. Maybe he would have been sick for so long. But guess what? My dad was sick for weeks and he went right into paradise. He went right into paradise. Maybe God is that good. But like Isaiah says, no one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to God, the evil to come. Maybe they're taken away to be spared from evil. So that's an anchor verse. Another anchor verse is Psalm 84:11. I'm sure some of you guys know this one too. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. I can say, God, this doesn't feel good, but I am interceding spirit to spirit. And I'm going to say, you do not withhold a good thing. So I am waiting to see your goodness. I am waiting to see your goodness. Scripture tells us that God doesn't give bad gifts. Luke 11, verse 9. Jesus was saying, so I say to you, this was in the middle of him doing a teaching on prayer. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But let's be really clear here. He won't give us bad gifts. He's not going to give us um, a snake if we ask for a fish. But it also doesn't say he'll give us a fish if we ask for a fish. He may not give us exactly what we ask for. Remember, Jesus taught this passage after the Lord's Prayer. The beginning of Luke 11, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It talks about daily bread. It doesn't talk about opulence. It talks about forgiveness. So this ask, seek, and knock is about kingdom-minded things. So are you doing that? You're asking for breakthrough in your spiritual life. Ask, seek, and knock. Michelle is clearly asking, seeking, and knocking, and the Lord will reward her for her persistence and her perseverance. But if you ask, seek, and knock for something that the Lord never promised you, and it's leading you to feel bitter, you, friend, are in error not the Lord. Hear me. This is where it gets tricky. Believe me. I am all about, I'm a daughter of God. Jesus said to his disciples and, you know, down the generations, it includes me, that I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. So hear me as a daughter and as a friend. I ask God for things I want. I do. I really do. I ask it regularly. Okay. That's me being in tune. I'm not a robot. I have desires, I have wants. I, I've gone to get my hair cut before. Why not? The Lord has riches unending at his right hand. Lord, can I have a really good haircut? I mean, that would just be really nice. I mean, why not? And guess what? One of the times I did that, I got the best haircut ever and everyone told me. They're like, I've never seen your hair look better. I was like, thank you, I asked God for my haircut. And believe me, I am all about that. Why not? I don't think you necessarily have to do it. But for me, it's an intimate connection that I have with God because I'm a daughter and I'm a friend. But I cannot be shipwrecked in my faith when I ask for things that God never promised. I cannot be shipwrecked if I ask for something that is not, that's a little bit more about me and not about the kingdom of God. I can ask, but I need to take inventory of my heart for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let's be clear here. Hear me. Again, I get the human place. Believe me. I am super, I'm not superhuman, but I'm very human. I'm very human. I like the word super. That didn't work there. I'm, I'm just as human as you. Believe me. Talk to Will. I mean, like, talk to probably, like, everyone here. You guys know. But, um, but I'm with you. Assumptions happen, and some of them are good. It's good for me to assume that I would have my parents with me through my young adult and well into my middle adult life. That's a good thing to assume. Believers are not called to fear sudden disaster. That is the lot of the wicked. That is not the lot for believers. We do not fear sudden disaster. We expect the best of God, for he is good. 
but you have to acknowledge what is, what's an assumption, and is God still true to his good nature when things don't go the way we want? Here's an easy example. I feel like for a young church, it's a good one. I thought I'd be married at 24, okay? And kind of like that whole pastor thing, like the minister thing, the billowing robe thing. I never really thought that through. It was just like a thing I did. It's kind of like that with um, being married at 24. My mom was almost 24 when she was married. My aunt, I think, was 24 or so when she was married. So in my head, if you want to be married, you're married by 24. Got it. So I will be married by 24. I get it now. You know, my sister, she didn't get married at 24, but she met her now husband at 21. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be married at 24. So then when I'm 22, I'm like, I don't know if I'm mature enough to be married, but you know what I do want to do? I, so you keep like adjusting your assumptions and expectations. You think, oh, I want to be dating the person that I will eventually marry by the time I'm 25. So like I just kept adjusting it, right? At the end of the day, it's, it's, you have to come to an acknowledgement. I think it's easy to say, oh, I'm going to ask and seek and knock for the Lord to bring this thing to pass at this time. But that wasn't his will for me. And I'm really grateful. I got married at 29. I'm very grateful for that. So there's times when you have to know when to let go. So point one, know your anchor. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Make it a prophetic declaration. And it's not even fully prophetic. It is true here and now. Like if you're a believer, you're going to heaven. Like the boundary lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. I don't care in this statement. I don't care if you lose your health, if you lose your wealth, if you lose your reputation. You could lose literally everything. And you could still say, only in Jesus, let's be clear, this does not move over to other faith religions or philosophies, but only for those who are in Christ Jesus can we say with sincerity of heart that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places because Jesus paid it all. And I am deserving of eternal torment in hell. The Bible says all will be raised, not just the good people. The good people don't just get like, you know, a sleepy non-existence. All will be raised and we will be judged by the Lord Jesus and either sent to eternal time with him in heaven or eternal separation from him with, with gnashing of teeth and torment. So for those of us in Jesus, we can say, no matter what, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. My second point is the tension, which I already mentioned. Do not ignore the tension, which is the pain, the grief, the disappointments, the unrealized expectations. Those are real, and, we, and God cares about those. He actually wants to get your heart through those things. He can shield, but he doesn't always shield because he has eternity in mind. Guys, think for a second. I know like the next year from now feels like a really big deal, but we need to meditate on what it means to have eternity in mind. We need to realize that when something like my father's in heaven, that actually another way to think of it, I mean, let's be real. When you have a friend who's like taken a month to go to Hawaii, you like don't feel bad for them. You more feel bad that like they didn't take you with them. You're like, really? That's super selfish because you didn't bring me with you. Jesus said to the, the criminal on his side, I will see you today in paradise. Pick your paradise. Maldives, I don't know, the Cape, New Jersey beaches. Pick your paradise. And those who've gone before us in Jesus, they're doing 
okay. My dad's probably looking down and being like, oh my gosh, a pandemic. All right, I should be interceding for these people with the great cloud of witnesses up in heaven, right? So going, we're gonna wrap up here in just a minute here. Acknowledge when something, so when, when you have that disappointment, that tension, you need to acknowledge when something we cling to in prayer is not a promise of God, but it's a hope and expectation. And hopes and expectations are good. We're not, we're not despising a hope or expectation, but you do have to realize when it's actually not something God promised for your life. Process your disappointment and pain with God. Grieve. Let him heal your heart. Declare truth. Speak anew. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And you may even need to repent. James 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. The NLT says, because your motives are all wrong. You might need to repent and be like, wow, I said I wanted to get married so I could serve you more effectively, but I really just wanted to be married. You know? And that's okay. But if your motives are all wrong, that doesn't work. So I'm going to, just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip. I was going to go through Psalm 42. It's a great example of, I mean, you can look pretty much anywhere. If you say, but Amy, I don't know how to be aware of my emotions and process. Just read the Psalms for like, you know, 20 minutes and you'll find something. And you'll say, oh, can you say that to God? Yes, you can. You can say that to God. He knows what's in your heart already. The very important thing to note, though, is you do need to land on truth. You don't just process your heart and say, blah, 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 blah. And then you go about your day. No, you have, to, you have to circle it around with truth. And Psalm 42 even says, verse 5, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Proclaiming the goodness of God in the future, maybe in the now in a way he doesn't understand. So... I already talked about my crossroads moment at 18. I hope the Lord is even now bringing up different crossroads that you might be at now or some certain ones you've been at in the past and you actually thought, ooh, I I chose the numbing path. I chose the not dealing with it path. And we're, we're definitely going to have a time to respond. And just, just a scripture to support what I was saying about um, the pilgrimage. It's, it's, again, it's not a one-off. What's scary about this message is, guys, even though I went through this with my mom and my dad, I don't, know, I don't know what next year brings. Like, I might have to do this again, you know? And I remember being like, oh, I want to preach this. Being like, hey, guys, check out what I did. It's really cool. Come on the other side. But we're not promised a life of ease. Jesus said, in this world, you will have many troubles. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Okay? So we have to be ready for that pilgrimage. Psalm 84. Blessed are those who, this is verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they walk through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Friends, let us commit in our hearts to go from strength to strength. Let's not go on the tales of an experience you had a year ago, but say, God, I need my daily bread. I need my strength anew. And then this is my, my last sub point here. I talked about a crossroads. If there's one path, that means there's another path. There's the arduous, challenging path for pilgrimage that guess what? We can do by the spirit of God and we can do in community. I promise you, if I've done it, guys, I'm weak. I'm weak. 
But we can go from strength to strength. And when we're weak, our friends can say, Amy, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And I'm going to pray for you. Yes, you can. But the other path is one that focuses on the lack. It doesn't focus on gratitude. It doesn't focus on Thanksgiving. It's, well, they're having Thanksgiving with their dads. When people complain about their dads, dude, when I was a junior in college, I'd be like, you need to check your heart. Some people don't have dads. And again, you can talk about your dads in front of me. I love it. I love dads. Love dads. Married to one. They're great. Um, <laughs> but here, here friends, I, and let me tell you too, bitterness is very common amongst the brethren. It's easy to be like, oh yeah, I know a few bitter people. Bitterness is something that all of us at one time or another have to come to deal with. Um, I'm about to read this book by John Bevere. Anyone who's been talking to me recently knows I'm on a real Bevere kick. They've been around for like 20 years, but I'm catching on that train. And he has a book called The Bait of Satan, which is about offense, being offended by people. And he uses Luke 17 as a keystone verse, which says Jesus talking about, I forget how he words it exactly, Luke 17, one, if we have it. But it's basically like you cannot expect that offense, or that bitterness will never come. The offense will never come. It will. The temptations to sin is also as the offense, different translations. So expect it. So related to bitterness, we're in great error if we remain bitter because the Lord has not released something that he never promised. After a certain point, we need to move on from processing our pain. And I have, I have a simple antidote, which is, relinquish the right to understand. It comes to a point where you can say, I'm going to rest in the goodness of the Lord and I do not have to fully know why. It's not weak. It's not weak. It's actually worship. I could, you can do these gymnastics. When I talk to my introverted friends, they say, oh, it, it's a little crazy up there. That's why I need community. You need to be careful where you go. And sometimes you need to cut and say, cut the scene. I'm relinquishing the right to understand God. I don't know why you took my dad, but I say you are good and I don't have to fully know why. I don't have to know. So here, here we're gonna close in prayer. And then for those who want to go or need to go, um, there's a few areas where you can go and then there will be an opportunity to respond. And let me just encourage you. Um, it's been very encouraging to see um, so many people being ministered to the past few Sundays. Again, being on the leadership team at Hilltop, it just makes me so happy. We really, we really love this church. We love the people and we want to, we want to see breakthrough and we want to come alongside with you. Um, but sometimes too, it's easy to think, mm, can't think of a bitter thing can't think of a, you know, I'm not really going through anything as challenging as you. It's easy to say, eh, okay, that's for them. Let me tell you, my college years, as I'm processing my father's death, you don't have to do this, but I'm also giving permission to those who want to do this. I went up every single altar call, and I said, you know, they might say, we're here to set people, you know, to pray that people would be healed of physical things, set free of addictions, and I was like, okay, not struggling with pornography. Oh, but I want more of God. So I would go up and I would say, I want more of God. So just know that if you, and I'm, Jesus promised hard things to come. 
and he promised that offense will come. So even if you're, maybe the Lord's preparing the five-year in the future version of you right now. So we want to pray for you to be fully equipped and for you to remain in community, to be there when the very painful things happen. So that's, that's my invitation for many to respond. But um, let, me, let me pray for us. God, I ask even right now where my words fall short, God, I ask that your spirit would continue to highlight what needs to be highlighted. God, I thank you for what you did in my heart, and I thank you that you're not done with me. God, I thank you that I am still committed to that pilgrimage, and I'm ready for when the next challenge comes by speaking that anchor, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and I commit to processing my heart and my pains with you. God, I thank you, and I ask that where there's bitterness in our community, God, that you would reveal it so that those people would walk in great freedom. God, I ask where John Bevere even says that bitterness and offense is a bait of Satan to draw us into his, his trap. God, I ask that many would be set free from the trap of Satan this morning in Jesus' name. God, I ask that you would bring strength to my brothers and sisters who need great strength. God, I pray for those who are on the brink of giving up. I pray for those who said, you know what, Jesus, I didn't sign up for this. Addiction sounds more pleasant than your boundary lines. God, and I ask that you would speak a heavenly perspective. God, I ask that we would not be so caught up in tomorrow, today, that you would help us through that. But our eyes would be set on eternity, that it would be set on the five year in the future version of ourselves, that we'd be sowing into character. And more than anything, God, I ask that there would be a high magnitude of gratitude and thanksgiving and praise in this community. God, I ask that Hilltop would be marked by those who are gracious and thankful, no matter what trials, that other people say, I met someone from Hilltop. They are such a grateful, worshipful people. God, I ask that you bring great healing in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of you who do have to go, we do have the info center. Um, Lily will be over there to take your information for the giving tree. There is a quick turnaround on that. So just if you're planning on doing it, let's... Let's make sure we, we do it today or at least talk to Lily. Um, Info Center will have a person or two over there. And there is Beyond Sunday today. So I don't know if they'll start in maybe five minutes or so, but feel free to get prayer first. But if you're new, we'd love for you to be a part of Beyond Sunday. So response. So like I said, if you feel the Lord stirring anything in your heart, I think a really good way to steward it is actually to have someone pray with you. I mean, there's no, this. I don't, I, I, my prayer this week was not to do a message that would please you, but please God. So ultimately, my heart's not set on how many people come up. I, I, I have the fear of the Lord to preach what I think the Lord is burning in my heart and nothing less. But it is an invitation for freedom and for us to come alongside you. And you might think, oh, I like this person. What community group do they go to? It's a way to get connected with people. So uh, if anything was brought to your attention that you want prayer for, we want to pray for you. Um, but some areas that come to my mind are a need for endurance and perseverance. You're getting tired. It's hard to sign up. 
for others, this doesn't resonate, but you have a little healthy dose of the fear of God where you realize, whoa, the other option's bitterness. Woo, okay. I need God's dreams and visions for my life. I want to lay at the altar my dreams and visions and just see maybe God will give me new things. Maybe God will give me new dreams and visions. And then for those who feel that the Holy Spirit is highlighting bitterness, that you feel offended with God for him not coming through the way you wanted him to. And friends, there's no condemnation, but there's an opportunity here to repent, to grieve, to ask God to reveal his dreams for you in this season. And even, I think it's important for us to have a holy moment with God. So let's say this too. If you wanna come up and you just wanna be before the Lord, you can go ahead and kneel. If you want prayer, you can approach someone on our, on our core team. So core team, if a few of you guys can come forward, um, but you're, you guys are welcome to just have a moment with the Lord kneeling. We'll know to give you that space. But let's, let's see what the Lord wants to do in our midst. And we do wanna pray for you.